Um, you know, th- this morning, this morning, this morning, um, we are continuing a series called Vision. Who are we? Where are we going? Where we're diving in deep to who we have always been as a church and who we are continuing to be and who God is calling us to be. And so we've talked about our vision, everyone everywhere following Jesus. We've unpacked our mission and now for the next five weeks, we're going to be, or the next three or so weeks, we're going to be talking about our values, our five values. And so the value that we're discussing this morning is growing people change, growing people change. Now that kind of just makes sense. I mean, when you hear it, there's nothing really fancy or, or incredible about that. I mean, we've all seen people change, right? If you've been around a baby recently, maybe you've had a baby. I have three kids. It just feels like there's babies all over the place as we're just kind of looking around. And, and we've got a seven-month-old Lila now. And I, I remember when Lila came home from the hospital with us and uh, at about two weeks, at about two weeks, we had just kind of like laid her on her stomach and she was sitting there and we were taking care of the other kids. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden she rolled over. Now, everybody knows that's a total fluke. No two-week-old babies roll over, except for when it's your baby. When it's your baby, you're convinced, I got the genius. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, uh, Lila is just superb. And so she rolls over and, and it's literally like every single day, I feel like we wake up and we have new kids with us every single day that with Lila and Brinley and Charlie, they are growing and they are changing in so many ways. And that's an awesome thing. We love it, right? That we love looking at the people around us. We love looking back at our lives and we love seeing the ways that we have grown and we have changed. And, and maybe you remember growing and changing from immaturity to maturity. And I was thinking about the very first prank that I ever remember playing was in the third grade. And my friend Adam and I, we were at school and there was this girl named Chanel who like we all had a crush on, which means, you know, you would prank her. That's just what you did. And so Chanel... I remember she had a, she had a disposable camera in her uh, little desk and, and she was kind of showing it off and talking about it and stuff. And so um, at, at recess, she left and Adam and I came up with the idea. So we said, we're going to steal Chanel's camera and just go take pictures and just see what happens. And so we took her camera and I, I remember we got out into like the schoolyard and we just felt like criminals. We felt like total bad boys, right? We just, we didn't know what we were going to do with it. And so we immediately freaked out that a teacher was going to find out. And so we ran into the boys' bathroom and this is, as a third grader, I'm 30 now, so I've matured, okay? I don't do these things anymore. But, but as a third grader, as a third grader, I remember we went into the boys' bathroom. And we were like, let's just take pictures of the toilet, right? Like, that's just what you do. And so we're like, this is going to be really funny. So I remember she had like eight photos left. And so we just snapped a bunch of the toilet. We thought we were just the funniest guys ever. And went and we snuck the camera back under her desk. Well, a week later, Miss Stevenson, she pulls Adam and I out of class and she goes, boys, is there something you need to tell us? And we said, we have no idea what you're talking about. She goes, really? Anything with Chanel's camera? Here's what had happened. (laughs) Chanel's camera, the first like 20 photos or whatever, had been of her older sister's wedding. And this was, you know, this is before the digital camera. And so, so they had taken these photos and they had gotten them developed. And the whole family, the whole family gathered around to look at these photos together. Now, Grandma, they told, they told us, I mean, we were just dying inside. Grandma was at the very center holding all of the photos and the whole family was around her. And they start looking through photo one, two, and all, all 20 photos and they're beautiful. And then all of a sudden, photo 21 is of what happens when you don't flush the toilet. And so, um, 
and, and grandma is, you know, has a, has a heart attack at this point. I'm just kidding. She didn't have a heart attack. But, but she sees these photos. And I remember, I remember realizing, you know, pranks have consequences. And so I remember, you know, kind of getting in trouble. I, I remember when I met Sarah's dad for the very first time, I was so nervous. My wife, Sarah, and I have been married uh, over seven years. And I was just freaking out about meeting him. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's this bigger guy, stronger, kind of burly. And, uh, you know, just uh, intimidating as dad should be. And so uh, I was going to meet him for the first time. And I remember I was in the living room or in the kitchen and, and all of a sudden he walks in and he could kind of hear my voice. I couldn't see him and I just heard him echo throughout the, throughout the house. He said, who's this young man in my house? I got so nervous, right? And I, I remembered what was the speech? What did I want to say? How did I want to impress him? He's a lawyer. So he just has like the most amazing vocabulary and he has every book memorized. So I'm trying to impress him, figure out what to say. And, and so I go up and I shake hands with him. The first thing that comes out of my mouth is I go, hey man, <laughs> You don't say, hey, man, to your future father-in-law. And then he says this, and I love him now. I mean, we're, we're best of buds. But he, he said this to me. He, he goes, that'll be Mr. Campbell to you. <laughs> and I quickly realized, all right, you got to address your, your future father. You got to address this man in a different way. You see, growing and changing is just a normal part of life, and we love it, and we love it. You know, I was thinking about recently in our high school ministry, there's one of our students named Mackenzie who, who she had kind of a spiritual growth moment where, where God did something really cool in her life and, and she texted me and I wanted to share that with you because it kind of gave a little perspective to what we're going to be talking about this morning. She texted me this. She said, I got a lot out of HSM last night. I actually talked to new people and I branched out and I left just feeling different and I felt more like myself. It felt really good, and I, I, I felt like I was doing what God had called me to do. I'm so excited to see what God is going to do with my life. And maybe you've looked back, and in your relationship with God, there have been these moments where you'd go, man, that's when God really grew me. That, that's when he changed me. That's when he got a hold of my life. But I wonder, I wonder if there's more growth and there's more change to come. You see, sometimes as people, we, we look at the change that happens in babies or in, or in other people, or we see, we look back at our own journey and we go, man, that's amazing. But then there's something in us that resists change, right? There's something in us that's, that's a little bit fearful because we don't know what it's going to mean. We don't know where it's going to lead us. But you see, God is always in the business of growing and changing people. And as followers of Jesus, there is always a next step to take. And so I'll open this question and I'll close with this question. What's your next step? What is the next step that God wants to do in your life? Because I don't believe you're an accident. I don't believe he's indifferent to you. I don't believe he doesn't have a plan and a purpose and a way that he uniquely wants to grow and change you. The question is, are you open to it? Well, here's what we're going to do in our time together. We're going to look at a story that has three guys. And the first guy is this incredible follower of Jesus. And that guy introduces us to this other guy who hates Christians. And then we're going to meet this other guy that I wonder if you've ever heard a sermon about. He only shows up once in the Bible, a seemingly insignificant character who's just following Jesus. And one day, one day, Jesus says, I want to do something in you. I want to grow you and change you in a way that you're not ready for, in a way that's going to shake up your whole world. But by doing so, I'm going to change the world. You see, the kind of growth and change that Jesus wants to do in your life will have ripple effects. We'll go out into the world and we'll have an impact even greater than you could ever imagine if you are willing. 
And so let's jump into Acts chapter 7. Find me in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. We're going to meet guy number one. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Guy number one is this Stephen. Stephen is a devout follower of Jesus. He finds himself in the year about 35 AD in front of a Sanhedrin, in front of a religious Jewish council. Actually a similar council that Jesus would have found himself in a few years before. And they're they're, they're in this mock trial. They're accusing him. They're bringing up false witnesses like they did for Jesus because the the religious leaders in that day were threatened by the message of Stephen because Stephen was saying, Jesus came, he died for all our sins and he actually rose from the grave. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is what the whole Old Testament has been pointing towards and these religious leaders were not okay with that. And so they're incredibly angry and they're frustrated at this point. And then he says something that really just, just, you know, pushes them over the edge. He sees Jesus and they're going, no, 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 Jesus is dead. And he's going, no, no, no. Jesus actually rose from the dead. And then check out what happens next. At that, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is just a little detour, but pretty profound moment in scripture. Stephen is literally having people throwing rocks at him until he dies. And the only thing out of his mouth is forgive them. I mean, that's when you know that you're in the hands of a God who has full authority to grow and change you and do whatever you want in his life. Where you're at your worst day. I mean, you get fired from your job and you go, man, Jesus, whatever you have in store for me. That's where Stephen's at. When he said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. So guy number two that we see is this guy named Saul. Quick Bible trivia, Bible trivia. When, when did God change Saul's name to Paul? When did that happen? Trick question, (laughs) gotcha. Trick question. It actually never happened. That's kind of a myth. We think that Saul had this conversion, which we're gonna read about in a second, and then he became Paul. It's actually not true. That all throughout scripture, we see Saul and Paul used interchangeably, and it's because of this, Saul Saul was a Jewish boy born in Tarsus in the Roman Empire. And so a Jewish boy born in a Roman Empire would have likely had two names, a Hebrew name and then a Roman name. And so his Hebrew name is Saul and his Roman name is Paul. And later in his letters, as you read the New Testament, he will use them and they will be used for him interchangeably depending on the audience and the community that he finds himself in. So when we see Saul, we're talking about Paul. We're talking about this same guy. But this Saul, this Saul at this moment in his story, he approves of the killing of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. 
Jump to chapter nine, verse one. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest in Jerusalem and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So leading up to this very important moment in Saul, Paul's life. He has decided that he is gonna leave Jerusalem because he's on a mission. He's very focused, he's determined. He is on a mission to destroy the church of God. He is willing, he is willing to take a 150 mile hike that'll take him about two weeks to get from Jerusalem to Damascus because Damascus is this really important city in the ancient world. See, Damascus was a city where there was a lot of trade. There was a lot of new ideas. There was a lot of exports and goods and people would come to Damascus and then they would learn and they would gather new ideas and they would take them to the ends of the world. And so Damascus is a really strategic, important place. And Saul knows that there are Christians, there are preachers of the way who are going to Damascus telling people that there is a God who loves them and who wants a relationship with them. And his name is Jesus. And Saul hates that. And so Saul is on a mission to break apart families, to destroy churches, to kill people, to see followers of the way tortured. But then here's what's interesting. It doesn't matter this morning whether you're an atheist and you want nothing to do with God. And somehow you got here this morning. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if, you, if you feel like you are so far from God. Jesus, Jesus wants to grow you and change you. And some of you this morning, some of you this morning, you need to take a 180. I mean, you're, you're going in this direction. You are following some sin, some brokenness, some idea, some relationship, some habit or whatever. And the growth and the change that Jesus wants to do in your life is literally a 180. But then we're going to read about another guy who the growth and the change that Jesus wants to do in his life is just as significant, but it's more of a course correct. It's more of a, a, a shifting of a paradigm, a way of thinking about people, a way of living. And so I don't know where you find yourself if, if you know this morning, man, God needs to do a 180 in my life or God needs to shift a paradigm, but he is in the business of growing and changing his people. And so as we jump into the bulk of our time together, I really wanna frame it with three questions. And the first question is this, where are you? And if you're going to be the kind of person who experiences the growth and the change that Jesus wants to do in your life, the first question you've got to ask yourself is, where are you? Check out what happens next. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That's a bad moment. That's an awful moment. I mean, that's this moment where he thinks that he, his purpose is to squash and destroy the church of Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up profoundly and says, you got it wrong, buddy. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him, to the hand, led, him to the hand, led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And then here's where the story of Ananias. Here's where the story of, of the growth and change that I think Jesus wants to do in each of our lives begins. 
And it's subtle, but it's significant. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Where are you? You see, for some of you, maybe your relationship with God right now just feels mundane. And it feels like you've been going to the same Bible study, the same life group, the same small group. You've been studying the similar stuff. You've been sitting in the same seats. And sometimes you wonder, sometimes you wonder, is this really worth it? Like, should I just give up on this whole thing? That maybe there's people around you who, who make it really challenging for you to follow Christ. And you know that God has invited you to love your neighbors, to love your enemies, to be salt and light in the world. But you just again ask the question, really? Can, can I really keep doing this? Should I really keep doing this? Then maybe like Pastor Greg talked about last week, you've thought about those things, those markers that defined the early church that they were all devoted to. Spending time in the word and prayer and worship and being in community and, and maybe you're generous with your money and you're just going, is God really doing anything in my life? You see, I think one of the first things we see that is, as, as we're about to witness in a moment, God is gonna use Ananias to change the world. He's gonna grow and change Ananias in a way that causes growth and change in the world at a level that, was never, that could never be compared. But it began with Ananias positioning himself for growth and change. He said, I think it's really important that it says he was a disciple, meaning he followed Jesus. And some of you, you're just tired of following Jesus. And I understand that, but don't give up. Don't give up reading the word. Don't give up the life group that you're a part of. You see, the, the thing the enemy would love for you to do is just get so antsy in your relationship with Christ, get so um, discontent that you just constantly hop from life group to life group to life group, from church to church to church, from event to event to event, and you never really get rooted. There's, there's something about uh, the way Eugene Peterson talks about a long obedience in the same direction because you never know, you never know when God is gonna show up and do something that he has never done before in your life. You see, Ananias, I think he just woke up today and just kind of began to live his life the way that he was called as a disciple to live. You see, a disciple means that you're a student. And so he's a student, he's a follower of the way, and he has no idea what Jesus has in store for him today. He's just being faithful. Andy Stanley, one of my favorite pastors, says, says this. Your direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. Your direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. So where are you right now? Are you, are you positioned? Are you ready? Are you open to the kind of growth and change that God wants to do in your life? Because maybe, 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 maybe you've settled for thinking that Jesus is done with you. And as a 30-year-old, I'm going, oh man, I've arrived. No, you would look at me and you go, you're an idiot. There's no way you've arrived. Well, I'm gonna look at you and say, hey, I'm not calling you an idiot, that'd be me. But I'm gonna say this, you haven't arrived yet that God still has some growth and some change that he wants to do in your life. Are you positioned? Are you ready? Are you willing to hear the voice of the Lord when he speaks? You see, notice what happens. Jesus just says, Ananias. All he, do, he doesn't say, hey, Ananias, in about a week, I'm gonna talk to you. So if you wanna get your spiritual act together, that'd be awesome. No, 
It's just a normal day. And the Lord, Jesus, says, Ananias. And Ananias' response is, yes, Lord. Wow, I mean, what a picture of faithfulness. Are you living within your families and your communities and your workplaces? Going at any moment, Jesus, whatever you want to say, I will respond to. Have you positioned yourself? Are you, do you have that kind of intimacy with God where it's like anything you want to do, you call the shots. I mean, what if, what if you're at dinner and, and God wants you to say something to a family member? That God wants you to share with the guy sitting in the cubicle next to you? Now, what about your roommate or whoever you're at school with or a professor? I mean, what, what if God wants to use you to do something and he's been waiting and he's just wondering if you're willing to listen? Are you and I the kind of people who recognize that there is always a next step to take, that there is always more growth and change, and so we will be listening people, and we will position ourselves for that. You see, Paul, Paul understands that, that God is always in the business of changing us because after his conversion, he writes this letter to the Romans. Find me in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, and he says this, Oh, how the, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths, they're beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He's just going, God, you are so big. You are so beautiful. You are so amazing. You are so far in front of me. And yet you want to be with me as you change me and as you grow me. There's always things to be done. And he says it this way in verse 12, chapter 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of who we're talking about, in view of the fact that this is the God who changes and grows people. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't become stagnant. Don't get lazy. Don't buy into this myth that you've arrived. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, some of you, as you're thinking about where are you right now, you just need to keep going. And, and it feels like the whole world is caving in. It feels like your relationship with Christ is stale. And it feels like, is it, is, I'm just reading this stuff and, and, and going to this life group. And I, is this what it's about? Keep going. Keep going. Because like Ananias, like Ananias, he woke up one day just being faithful, just being a disciple, And that was the day that God did the impossible. Yes, Lord, he answered, verse 11. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias, that's you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. The second question is this, what change What is God changing in you? The second question is, what is God uniquely changing in you? Check out how Ananias responds. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. It's like he's reminding God, he's going, hey, um, I've heard about this guy. He hates your people and I'm one of your people. So if I do the math right, he probably hates me. 
And, and Lord, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. He, he, verse 14, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He's going, and he's got the backing of the Sanhedrin. He's got all the authority he needs to ruin my life. So I, I understand maybe that, that you love him and care about him, but you, I think you got the wrong guy. I, I, I don't think, God, I don't think today is the day. And then check out how the Lord graciously responds. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, go. This, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Ananias has a total paradigm shift. His world turns upside down at this moment because God is calling him to do something that he could never imagine doing. But I actually think there's something deeper going on in the story. God is calling Ananias to believe something, to know something about who God is that Ananias had no idea about. You see, in, in this moment, I think what God is saying to Ananias is, hey, even Saul, your enemy, I have plans for him. I love him and I have chosen him and I want to use him and I'm gonna use you. I wanna change you and do a work in you where you begin to see Saul the way I see Saul so that you can accomplish my mission on the earth. And so he does this heart change within Ananias. You see, God loves, you know what one of God's favorite things to do is to inconvenience your life. Some of us grow up in church thinking that God's sole purpose is to keep me happy. Like he's our personal customer service agent, right? That if we don't like the way this sounds or the way this went down or whatever, that, that, it, is our, that it is God's job to make sure that I am happy. <clears throat> Wrong. He loves you too much. He loves you too much to settle for that job description. No, no, no. God's, God's he, I think he loves it. He loves to inconvenience you. He loves to invade your life. He loves to interrupt you so that he can grow and change you to reflect him. So as you're thinking about you've positioned yourself for growth, well, what is it? What kind of growth and change does Jesus wanna do in your life? I think it's this, he wants to change you and grow you to look and act and think and dream and live more like him. Check out the way Paul phrases it in 2 Corinthians three sixteen to 18. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into what? His image. See, that's God's game plan with your life. The change that he wants to do in you is he wants to shape you and mold you to look more like himself, to reflect him, that you would more closely bear his image. That's God's game plan with you. But specifically, what does that mean? 
Paul spells it out in, in a little more detail. Galatians chapter 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So much going on here. In the first part, it's this. The kind of growth and change that Jesus wants to do in you is he wants you to bear more fruit that looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So you, you, you've got maybe a, a cubicle worker or a, a, an old friend or a neighbor that just plays their music so loud. And it's, it's Friday, Saturday night, and you're trying to have a nice night in. You've got kids that you're trying to get to bed or whatever, and they just can't stop playing this music. And you literally hate them. And you're so frustrated by them. You know what the kind of growth and change Jesus wants, you to, wants to do in you? He wants to fill you with more love for them. Maybe you struggle with envy. I've been thinking about this recently. Maybe you look around at people and you're just constantly envious of their life stage, of their opportunities, what they're getting. You know what envy does? Envy takes you from being present. It takes you out of this situation and into this realm where you're just beginning to be filled with hatred and disgust. And you're envious of what they have. And you want what they have. You know what the opposite of envy is? Here's what the opposite of envy is. Joy. Because if you're living a life full of joy and you're just rejoicing and literally you're, you're looking out at the world and you're just constantly amazed at how good God is, that even, even that day you get fired, you, you somehow are able to see where God is at work, that God is gonna take care of you, that he will provide for you. If we become people who are just so overwhelmed by God's goodness that we can't stop rejoicing, do you know what happens? You don't have enough time to envy what others have because you're stuck in the present of what God is doing in your life. So you see, the kind of growth and change Jesus wants to do in you is he wants you to look more like his son and he wants you to be full of more love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and even self-control. But then verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, there, there, there's an active part to it. There's this, sense of, there, there's this sense of who's leading this. You know, the, the purpose is not, hey, Jesus, will you come follow what I'm doing? Jesus, will you get on board with what I have going on in my life? No, no, no. The call of the Christian is to have ears like Ananias has, to hear and to know where is Jesus leading us? Where is the Spirit going? And for us to keep in step with the Spirit. See, I wonder what kind of change God wants to do in you. I was uh, at a conversation a few months ago with two friends of mine who saw a social, political issue, a cultural issue from very different perspectives. And man, they were active on Facebook. I mean, it was good. And there was things going and there was shots being fired. I mean, it was crazy. And, and they, they had good points, both of them. They had different ideas. And so I called them and I said, hey guys, here's what I'd love to do. Why don't we go to lunch? I'll pay. And as we sit down, here's what I want you guys to do. 
I want you to each share with each other your stories. I don't want you to share your political, social, cultural issue, beliefs on this. I don't want you to bring your pamphlets with you. No, no, no. I want you to show up and I want you to share your stories. And you know what was so profound for me about this lunch? Is all of a sudden this guy started sharing his story and I said, ah, that's why he thinks the way he does. I hear the pain. I hear the brokenness. And then all of a sudden this guy started sharing and I was like, oh, oh, okay, that's why he thinks the way he does about that. And what's so beautiful is we together and these two dudes were able to hear each other's stories. Learning and understanding where each other comes from. And in a sense, they were able to love each other better. I had a conversation with a group of people this week that have experienced a significant amount of pain in their lives recently. And there's, there's deep need for reconciliation. And instead of handling this online or over text or over Facebook or whatever, we got in a living room and just talked. And you guys, it was so powerful. It felt like this sacred moment where you could really hear each other. Can I maybe challenge us that one of the ways that we as a community, and Glenn kind of hit on this way better than I will a few weeks ago, but one of the ways that we need to grow and change as a community is let's stop posting things. Let's stop posting things that just so hurt and wound and offend each other. And instead, what if, we, what if you did this? What if we made it our mission? That as we log on to Facebook or wherever you're social and you see somebody comment or post or say something that is so different than what you think and you literally, you're convinced, I mean, that person is an absolute idiot. Here's what I'm commissioning you to do. Offer to buy them coffee. Take them out for coffee and say, hey, I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to have a conversation with you. You see, we live in a world right now that is specializing that is doing such an ugly, awful job. And yet all they're doing is just shouting, trying to be louder and louder and louder than the other person. Do you know what the church of Jesus Christ should be doing? We should be reconciling. We should be the kinds of people who, we don't settle our disputes by trying to shout and out yell each other. We're better than that. We're better together. And so we should be the kinds of people who, who build relationships who listen to each other, who understand. As I was in this living room and at this restaurant in those two occasions, I just felt like, I just felt like, man, this is what the world needs. The world doesn't need more yelling. The world needs this. So I'm gonna ask you, what is that unique change? What is that thing that God specifically wants to do in you right now? How does he wanna change you to reflect him more? Maybe that's digging more into his word. Maybe that's spending more time waking up early and, and being intimate with your God and, and growing and committing to your life. I'm not sure what it is, but it's all for the purpose of you reflecting and mirroring him in a more whole way. And the third part and the final part to this is this question, how are you responding? So where are you? Are you positioned for growth and change? What is that unique change and growth that Jesus wants to do in your life according to the fruits of the spirit, according to reflecting his image more? And then lastly, how is it that you are going to respond? Check out what happens next in the story. Then, verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, Powerful, powerful introduction. He didn't say enemy, Saul. He didn't say, you, you suck. 
He said, brother. See how quickly Jesus got a hold of his life and grew him and changed him? So that literally the way in which he addresses people is different. He says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. See, Ananias, he's ready for change because he's a disciple. He's following Jesus. He's committed. He's faithful. The Lord speaks and wants to change his heart and he's open to it and he's willing. And then lastly, lastly, he chooses to be obedient. He chooses to respond. Here's, here's one thing I've learned rather maybe painfully. You can't become a really smart person by just hanging out around books, right? I don't know if there's any doctors in the room, but, but you can't become a doctor by just putting on a lab coat and standing around some pre-med books. It's not like it's just going to kind of ooze into you, right? I mean, you, you've got you've to you've position yourself to become a doctor, which is a really significant thing, but then you've got to actually dig into it. You've got to dive deep into the text, into the growing, into what God has for you, specifically whatever field you're in, in order to become a doctor, in the same way, and I know you guys are going to be super impressed with my weights. You're going to think I really am the bodybuilder that I look like. Um, these are not mine. Mine are huge weights at home. These are Sarah's. Um, but you, you, can't get, you can't get fit by just looking at weights. You can't get fit by signing up for a gym membership. You can't get fit by just hanging out at the elliptical. Like, like nobody's getting yoked just like hanging out, chilling with other people that are yoked. That's not what happens. Now that's important, right? It's significant to position yourself, but you got to pick up the weights and you got to do it. If you want to change your eating habits, literally, I have no idea what this was. I, I went to Starbucks this morning. I was like, do you guys have anything healthy? And they're like, yeah, there's this really nasty drink. I'm like, I'll take it. Okay, so they gave this to me. Um, here's the thing, just, just pouring this into a cup and just be, you know, deciding to go to restaurants that serve healthy options is not going to change my eating habits. Like I got to say no to the souffle and start saying yes to the salad. If, if I want anything to change in me. And so my question to you is, how are you choosing to respond? There's a woman in our congregation um, named Trudy, who, uh, Trudy's one of our spiritual grandparents and we just love Trudy. And, and she's got this Christmas Eve tradition with some of her friends. They gather and they sing some choir songs together and or some carols. And it's just this beautiful, awesome thing. Well, she found out about one of our young adults who didn't have a place to go on Christmas Eve, didn't have any plans. And you see, Trudy could have just kind of stayed in her comfortable rhythm of just life as she kind of knows it and doing these things with her friends. But because she's positioned herself, because she's open to God changing her. And because she's willing to respond, she invited this young adult to come over with all of her friends and enjoy this tradition. I talked to this young adult after and she said it was one of her favorite nights ever. See, I wonder what kind of growth and change Jesus wants to do in you. And what if it's the kind of growth and change that if you'll allow him to do a course correct, a paradigm shift, if you'll allow him to do a 180 with your life, he would do things through you and in you that you would look back on 
5, 10, 15 years later and go, is this still me? This is incredible. But God doesn't give us sort of the blueprint. He just gives us enough light to take that next step. And so the question is, what's your next step? What's your next step? What's that growth and that change that Jesus wants to do in your life? And are you willing, are you willing to trust him enough to take that next step? Because it's really hard, it's really hard to direct a parked car. But it's easier to direct a moving car. And so are you a parked car? Are you done? Are you checked out? Are you saying, hey, this is all that God has for me? Or are you willing to keep in step with the Spirit as He changes you and grows you and helps you to take your next step? So what's yours? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you are in the business of growing and changing your people. And so God, we will be those kinds of people who position ourselves for growth and change, who are listening and and willing for you to change us, to reflect you more, to have more of your fruit and your likeness in us. And then God, would you help us to actually respond? Would you help us to live and look differently? Because Jesus, you're changing us from the inside out. So God, I pray that for the rest of the day that we would contemplate what it is, what that step is that you have for each of us to take. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.